Hey, welcome to Vince and Jason Save the Nation. I think this is the first fully video produced episode. So if you're hearing this somewhere, you can find it on YouTube as well. And make sure to subscribe to the Daily Caller YouTube as you do. This show is all about, as we said, saving the nation. I'm Vince Colonnese. I'm with my friend Jason Nichols. I'm on the right. He's on the left. But we both care a lot about this country. And we're going to have a lot of very important conversations about how to keep it going. Uh, so without further ado, here's Jason. Yes. Hi. Hi, everybody. Hopefully we're all going to become really good friends or really good enemies. Either way, uh, hopefully never enemies, actually. I think one of the things that Vince and I are aiming for is productive conversation, uh, not going for the kill, not even necessarily trying to win. It's about uh, maybe making the case for a way to save the nation. And so today, you know, it's Memorial Day. So I wanted to actually start off things a little differently than I normally will. And I, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about one of my military heroes. Now I have a couple of military heroes. You'll probably hear me often talk about uh, my uncle Charlie who actually died on Memorial Day at age 108. Um, wow. And he served in World War II um, at the age of 32, uh, which, you know, doesn't sound that old now, but he got drafted at 32. At that time, you were settled, you had kids. Amazing. Uh, so he was really, you know, uh, an, an older gentleman to be serving in World War II. He was part of the, the Red Ball Express, which, you know, if you know anything about World War II history, they were kind of the truck drivers who truck, who drove supplies beyond, you know, behind enemy lines. He uh, protected um, or, you know, guarded Nazi soldiers. But one of the things that I think is so important, and, and I'm an African-American studies uh, professor or senior lecturer, but I will say this, um, he had to wait until all of the white soldiers ate before he could eat, even once he outranked. Hmm. Um, and that says something about, you know, our country, but it also says, uh, a little bit about how far we've come. You know, the guy who's in, in charge at the Pentagon is an African-American now. Um, of course, we've had an African-American commander in chief. And I think it does say a little bit about where we've come as a nation. Uh, it does not say that racism is over or even systemic racism is over or even racism in the military is over. But it does say something about where we have come as a nation and the progress that we've made. And I think we have to celebrate that. The other hero I want to just quickly go through is a guy named Hosea Williams. He is one of the forgotten heroes of the civil rights movement. And, you know, Hosea Williams survived a Nazi bombing in World War II and he earned a Purple Heart, you know, and he was a close confidant of Dr. King. Dr. King used to call him his bull in a china shop. Uh, because he would lead protests and, and he was just so fearless and unafraid. And he came home from that bombing after getting the Purple Heart, came home in uniform and was disabled. He was uh, determined to be 100% disabled by the military, uh, came home, he was in uniform and he had to walk with a cane. And he walked up uh, and was very thirsty and drank out of a white segregated drinking fountain. And while he was in uniform, this Purple Heart recipient 
was beaten so badly that his attackers thought he was dead in uniform. And then they didn't have an ambulance or anything. So they called a black funeral home to pick up his body. Now, en route to the, en route to the funeral home, uh, the driver of the hearse noticed you know, a pulse. Mm. So he saw he was alive, but there were no hospitals that served black people, even in a, a, with a medical emergency. Uh, so he had to go to a veteran's hospital 100 miles away. He was hospitalized for a month after that attack. And he went on later to say that he, you know, while he served, he saw his friends, you know, killed and tortured, you know, their limbs exploding everywhere, him bleeding all over the sand in France. But he went on to say that he understood that God had a plan for him and that that plan was uh, for him to be a general in the fight for human rights and personal and personal dignity. And so, you know, when I'm honoring people, I honor all of you who served. I hope some of you, I'm sure some of you who are watching uh, served in our military. You know, of course, Vince comes from a military family. I, you know, my mother served, his father served. Um, and we honor all military and the military families, the children even, who make sacrifices uh, so that we are, our freedoms are protected. But yeah. I also remember the people who fought for their country and their country wouldn't fight for them. Um, and I think that's an important thing that we have to remember so that history doesn't repeat itself. There are a lot of people who would like to whitewash history and like to change history. But I think it's important to remember people like Hosea Williams, not only for what he did in the civil rights movement, not only because he was a Purple Heart hero, but because of what our nation did to him while he was in uniform yeah. coming home. Amazing stories. And you know what strikes me about both of those stories, your family member and Hosea Williams, you know, these guys uh, served as so many do in our military with selflessness. They were thinking about their country. They were thinking about like doing their duty and, and living up to the needs of their country. They were ready to give up their lives. So many have over a million uh, veterans have given up their lives and made that ultimate sacrifice because in the end, what they cared about was their country and doing it for this great country, regardless of sort of the selfishness and the judgment and the kind of the, like, you know, there are people in our society who don't love it as much as these guys did and do. Um, and that's a sad thing. It's So that's why, you know, you think about Memorial Day um, in particular, and I love Memorial Day because it is such a unique holiday on the American calendar. It's designed to be a moment when we reflect on the type of person who would give up their life for their country and who has given up their life for this country. And I think it's, it should be a reminder to us, especially in 2021, when I feel like there's so many people inside of the United States that are so consumed with themselves or so interested in themselves, can only talk about themselves, that they need to get outside of themselves and think about this country and like what actually makes it great, what makes it worth fighting for, and what types of things we should be fighting for. So, right. And, and I, I, I just want to add to that. I think one of the things that I think what you said relates to what we're trying to do. And that is, I hear so many allegations from the right and the left, and in some cases they're right, you know what I mean, on both sides, but that 
the other side hates their country. You know what I mean? That they hate their country or they're, they're uh, you know, not American or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure there were people, you know, who, who probably said that about people like Hosea Williams while he was protesting, not realizing that he shed blood for his country and not realizing people who say that to me, not realizing that members of my family shed blood for their country, went out, left their families for their country. You know, and, and that allegation, I think if there's one besides racial epithets that that angers me most, it's for people to say that I don't love America. You know, that's why I, I love the fact that we have the title that we want to save right. America. You right. only, you know, I, I mean, I would save someone and something I don't love, but I certainly would make every effort to save an institution or something that I believe in, something that I believe that I love, that I believe maybe doesn't always live up to the values that it, that it has written down on paper, but yeah. certainly has the potential to. And that's why, you know, I, at least from my perspective, why I want to save America. Yes. Why, why I, I believe it's worth saving. Why? Can, I, what, oh, go ahead. No, I just, let me, let's, let's really get the conversation going though, because I want to tap into something you just said and, and, and assess it, which is sure. that you've got political people on both sides who will accuse the other of bad faith efforts to try and tear down the country. That's essentially the core of the argument that they're making against their political opponents. But one of the things that I think, just speaking from the right, when I look at um, sort of what's happening to the military now in particular, where you have the big comparison that was being made a couple of weeks ago was like compare the the Russian military recruitment ad to the U.S. military recruitment ad. And the one you get the Russian dudes are just like muscle bound. They give up their normal life. I think the translation of the actual, uh, the advertisement was like, basically they're abandoning everything about who, what about their past, their, their, all the things that made that like they were obsessed with as a civilian to become a part of something bigger than them, to fight for the Russian military and to dominate their opponents and to come home the victor. That was basically the point of the ad. Meanwhile, like the American military ad consists of a, of a girl talking about how she grew up with two moms and how uh, like she was marching in the streets for whatever political cause she supported. And now she's becoming even more herself by joining the army. And it was a cartoon and everything about it. You just hold those two ads in juxtaposition to one another. And people like me, when I, when I see ads like this, this really was my opinion. I'm like, it's kind of obvious who wins the war when it comes down to war fighting, if you just are, are going, you know, evenly, if if it's based only on the types of people you're recruiting and what you're appealing to. And I get worried about stuff like this, Jason, because I think what, what we've done is we start kind of like meddling in, okay, like what's the point of the American military? And, and why are we trying to, it feels like seeing something like that is like, we're trying to tear it down as an institution because we're defeating it's an overarching goal, which is to win wars, to, to, to battle fiercely on behalf of this nation and its values, and to dominate enemies when called upon. Um, do you get nervous that, that we're watering that down at all? No, I, I, I actually interpret that completely differently. I think, number one, what that ad was saying is that people from all walks of life, with all political leanings, are willing to sacrifice for their country. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what I take from an ad where it's like, yeah, you probably think the military is all about muscle-bound dudes, you know, uh, you know, lifting kettlebells and and 
running laps around a track to get ready for a war. And you and I have already talked about this off camera uh, about the fact that I don't think warfare is going to look the same way. You know, I, I think, you know, uh, warfare is going to be much more digital and we're going to need really smart guys. Right. And the muscle bound guys, those are going to be the guys who fight wars, you know, and, and, and I mean this, uh, in, in less technologically advanced countries. Yeah, they need muscle-bound guys. Maybe so. But why but not appeal? I, I, I really why not believe- appeal? Why not appeal to the computer person then? Like why not appeal to that skill set rather than make it based on some frivolous well, identity so, that plays no role in winning war? So here here's the thing. Number one, one of the things that the military realized a long time ago, and, and I remember reading an article about this a long time ago. One of the things that the military realized was that people, Americans didn't want to join the military. We want a voluntary military. We decided we did, we did away with the draft. Right. And that many young people were afraid that they were going to lose their individuality if they joined the military. You know, they have the images from, you know, the 1960s with some, or fifties with some guy shaving your head and, you know, that you're going to lose your individuality. So this is why even in the 1980s, we talked about the ad like, be all you can be. And then it changed to an army of one because they wanted people to realize you are not gonna lose yourself in the military. We're not trying to make you, we're not trying to brainwash you into some sort of killing machine. We but why not though? To be, because nobody wants to be brainwashed. <laughs> like, so, but isn't I, I think, but the and, point- and it, I don't think it necessarily makes you a better soldier. As we know, Hosea Williams was not brainwashed. Yeah, I got that. But I, what I mean is like, you know, of course, like your, your individual characteristics and your capabilities, they play a huge role in advancing, uh, uh, you know, a military, which I think that makes sense. But to join the military, you know, I think about the Marine Corps. That's in my family. Every, everybody was Marines, except for uh, my grandfather was drafted into the army in Korea. But when they, um, you know, my dad's a Marine, my brother's a Marine. I mean, they call these guys jarheads for a reason. Like the idea was like, you know, you remove the top of their heads, you insert a new brain, you know, that's jarheads. You know, this is, that's what's up. And one of the reasons that is a value to a military is in order to maintain cohesion and to have all of the guys on the same page and being able to rely on the guy who's next to you in combat is because you sacrifice something about your individuality because you're basically, you're joining the military and you are all getting on the same page. You're breaking down all that baggage that you brought with you from wherever you brought it. And they're basically trying to dispense of that, saying, like, stop being so self-interested and start being more interested in the guys who are around you and working with them to win. And like, if there's one thing, if there's one thing America doesn't need, it's a reminder to think more about ourselves, right? I mean, don't you get the sense that like everything we do nowadays, like, almost every cultural scandal we see involves somebody who's like way too fascinated with themselves and will not shut up about themselves. And it's to the point where we've like normalized having tremendous amounts of baggage and thinking that, yeah, okay, yeah, that's totally fine. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this this much, Vince, you're going to have a very small military if you don't allow some diversity of thought in the military. I think one of the things about you know, I, I think there is a balance between being together, having that brotherhood and, and sisterhood yes. and having a common goal and having and, and I think there's a, a big distinction between that, 
which is what you want from, from your military. You have a common goal, you have a common objective, you have, right. a, you have common values, but at the same time, you are an individual with individual ideas, individual pursuits, individual interests. Those things can be brought together, but instead, if you think that, okay, we're just gonna stick a brain in the jar, I, I don't think you're gonna have a whole lot of recruits. I think a lot of people, you know, these days, want both they love and and the and the person with two moms and you know all of that they love this country and love the ideals of this country and love what we are supposed to stand for as much as the guy who's in a cornfield doing pull-ups you know what i mean so i i I really think that what the military is trying to do is say look we want to pull from every segment of this society you know, if you believe in the things that we believe in, if you believe, if you love your country, right. it doesn't matter, you know, your gender, it doesn't matter your race, it doesn't matter any of that. We are actually, and you'll be able to keep all those parts of your identity, you know, your sexuality, all of that. You'll be able to keep those parts of your identity that make you you, but you will also be able to be part of something that's bigger than you. And we understand also again, if she's an activist, she's already a part of some things that are bigger than her, you know? Mm -hmm. So this idea to make her out to be like this individualistic, selfish person, you know, which we don't know what causes she was an activist for, it may have had nothing to do with her. You know, if it's a white woman and she's out there for Black Lives Matter, it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily about her. It's probably about the ideals that this country stands for, about, you know, freedom and equality and equity and all those kinds of things. So she's already doing that. But what the military is saying is come join us and you can fight for those ideals as well and be part of some, another group that uh, protects freedom and justice and all those things that you, that you wanna be a part of and that you wanna protect. The way that you envision the military from the 1940s when it was segregated is not, or when it didn't allow women or anything like that, is not the military today. We we still have our goals. We'll still hopefully not fight a war, but if we have to, we will. Uh, we still protect the American people. We protect American ideals, um, but you can still be who you are. And I think mm -hmm. that that's actually a really positive message. I think anybody, whether you're on the right or the left, we're not necessarily trying to change your politics or change your ideas or you know, discriminate against you because of where you come from or who you come from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I look, I, I think the key here is though, I mean, nobody's talking about going to a segregated military or going back yeah, to a segregated no, I, military. I, I, I understand that. <laughs> my, my, point, my point is that like, I'm looking at basically a military that should be focused on its core mission, which is killing bad guys. And whether it's done via, you know, what we were talking about before, you know, the typical ground troops that we often thought of, or as you said, and I think rightly, as, as the nature of combat changes and the nature of the threats change, we just need people who are ruthlessly effective at achieving uh, the goals of the American military. That is the most important thing. And sort of coming along and bringing, you know, I, the reason I say conceited and self-interested is because you look at, at an ad like that, it's like the whole like idea of just being so fully obsessed with every little detail about her biography is, I think, insane it's like a total 
it's a total betrayal of what the military is supposed to be about. I mean, you're supposed to basically go and sacrifice, not indulge yourself, but sacrifice yourself for your country. And I don't, when I say sacrifice yourself, I'm not saying that, that yeah. you do that and you die in combat. No, <laughs> Although these guys are ready. These, these guys right. are ready. Many of them are ready to pay that ultimate sacrifice. And for that, uh, I, I sit here on a Memorial Day in 2021 with such gratitude. And we've seen so many have, of them have done that. But they sacrifice something about themselves. They kind of leave that, um, that personally interested part of them behind. And I, I actually think that there's a, a lesson in there, not just for the military, but for all of us to stop getting, I mean, we, we live in a society that's way too self-interested. And I mean, on an individual level. So you mentioned before, like maybe she was marching with Black Lives Matter or something. Um, how many people do you know who put stamps on their Facebook pages representing whatever social movement they think they're supporting by doing what we usually refer to as slacktivism, right? It's like, you're not actually doing anything. You're just like, I support this thing. And whatever it is, it's really not about any movement in particular. It's more about you and not, not you, Jason Nichols, but you, the person who's posting that on Facebook, it's about you. You're a good person. That's why you're doing this. It's, it's about signaling your virtues, letting someone else know that you're a decent person. So don't look at me. I'm on, I'm on team good guys. Well, yeah, uh, I, and- I think, I think both sides do that. You ever seen, you know, people who put a bunch of American flags next to their names and all that. Because they're, yeah. they're doing the same sort of thing that says, I'm one of the good guys. I'm a patriot, you know, uh, and, and I think that, you know, both sides do that. But in that ad, that woman was actually hitting the streets. She was actually out there advocating for what she believed in. Hosea Williams, I'll bring it back to him. He actually advocated for what he believed in and risked his life. Right. Even after he left the military, right. he believed in certain things and he fought for it in the military. And then he got out of the military yeah. and he fought for the same ideals. Um, this time, unfortunately, the people who opposed him were his countrymen. Um, yes. And were, so, and so Jose Williams, Jose Williams is a great example. So this, this makes me think about something else too, which is not all causes are created equal. Not so, so some, so for instance, Jose Williams, that is a deeply real and deep, uh, deep and a genuine thing to fight for that he was a part of. And he moved America in the right direction towards fulfilling the promises of its founding documents. That is a fantastic thing. Mm-hmm. But I, we're seeing street movements in America now who are fighting for invented reasons. Like they're fighting about, they're, they're literally sowing division while simultaneously fighting for things that aren't even real, like, and, and making claims that aren't yeah. even real yet, yet making America worse in the process, claiming that there are problems with whatever it is. And then simultaneously uh, actually sowing division around that issue rather than improving the country. So I, I look at like a guy like Hosea Williams, I'd be embarrassed to compare him to so many people who consider themselves modern day activists. No, I'd agree. I'd agree um, <clears throat> that there are lots of people who are activists today who make up causes. Um, and some of these actually infect the military, too. You know what I mean? Um, and, and we've seen it with some of the extremism. We saw it with the invented cause of, of an election being stolen um, and people hit the streets 
and tore up the the literally tore up the capital something that military members are, are are supposed to protect you know you had one in one in ten of the people that have been arrested for uh the insurrection at the capitol are military veterans or current servicemen and women one in ten 45 out of 450 mm -hmm. of those defendants and and more people are being charged right you know and that's actually overrepresented because uh, veterans only make up about 6%, six percent, six to seven percent of the overall population. There were at yeah. least three active duty members of our military that were involved in the January 6th uh, insurrection. So what I'm saying is I so agree let me, with you. Hold, hold on, let me, yeah. let, me, let me just finish. I'm just saying yeah, I agree ahead. with you that there are people who hit the streets yes. and, and sometimes are willing to be violent um, for made up causes. Yeah. Um, and, and there are other things that, you know, that aren't made up that lead us towards our ideals. And then there are people who are just rabble rousers and just want, you know, just want to cause yes. issues in the streets. You know, no question. They're, they're nihilists fun. out there. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. No, that, I, that's true. That's true. So let me throw down some markers on, on some things. One, I don't think that the use of the word insurrection is right for the event of Jan the events of January 6th. Yeah. I think it was a riot. I think that's what it was. And the reason why there's been an effort to use the word insurrection to distinguish it is because if you don't, if you call it a riot, then you can compare it to what we saw take place throughout the country last year. And so for that reason, I think that there have been, um, I think this was just a product of left-wing punditry. It's like, well, we've got to be careful because if we just call this a riot, then people are going to be able to compare it to the billions of dollars of damage and the lives lost over the course of the last year on the streets in the, in the United States. So we don't want that to be the comparison. So let's call it an insurrection. Now, yeah. just- So I, 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 never, I never called uh, what happened over the summer riots either, you know, mm -hmm. because I think- Worth, I, But there I, were riots. I call them uprisings. And the reason I, I, I said that, the reason right. I say uh, an uprising, riots, like I, I'm at the University of Maryland, riots are what we did in the early 2000s after a basketball game. You know, they, they really didn't have any kind of political ends or political goals uh -huh. uh, or anything like that. I, I think an uprising usually uh, has some sort of political goal. We, we can look it up, you know. Um, yeah. So wait, so let me let me let me jump in on that then. Let me let me just explore that definition with you. For and, a and, and, but, but wait, let me let me just say before you okay. get there, let me just go add ahead. one other thing. Uh, in, in any country, when you go and sack the capital, you know what I mean? That is an insurrection. Right. When but, people who are, are citizens of a country sack the capital for with a political goal of overturning the, the governing body or changing the results mm -hmm. or changing the presidency. You know, <clears throat> what we call that is an insurrection. They happen in Africa all the time where, yeah. you you know, some people don't agree with the results of an election and they go in. And they, you know, with a militia or with random dudes or whatever it is, right. and they try to change the results. And that's an insurrection. Just because it's in the United States, we try to think we're above all of that, but we're right. not. But also, like, think about the, I mean, just think about what you're technically saying. I mean, like, for instance, in Egypt, when they have a coup, I mean, it's led by the military. You have, like, very real power centers that are involved in, in flipping all this stuff. That was not what we had here. We had people who trespassed inside the United States Capitol who were trying to express their outrage with the way the process was going down. And we're down. trying to stop but, the but legal process 
and the legal transfer of power. It wouldn't that work was, though. That was the That's, goal. But it the didn't point work. No, it was a failed insurrection. I no, no, no. I know. Not only did it not work, there's no way it could have worked. In other words, yeah, sure. like just by the guy with the Viking, the guy with the Viking horns standing yeah. on the Senate dais does not award him the Senate, right? It's not like it's a game of King of the Hill. Like they, like everything about it is is pretty preposterous. And yes, there were people committed acts of Agreed. violence. I've said that before. Uh, you've got um, people who, most of whom were trespassing all of the ideas of like treason and insurrection. None of this stuff held up in court. In fact, the, the Justice Department overcharged so frequently that so many of these cases were just thrown out because most of them amounted to misdemeanor trespass. Um, it has become, it has become, honestly, I, I believe, Jason, Nancy Pelosi's favorite day in American history, because I think it gave her, I gave her a pretext to try and suggest that it's her political opponents who are, have uniquely like just flown the coop, right. Or just like they've lost their minds. And so as a result, we're going to forever use this as a way to build more power for ourselves. That's why we got the the January 6th commission thing. Like, you, like, does anyone honestly believe that that was really going to be a fact-finding mission if they ever got that thing launched? Oh, I, of course I think not. Like, the whole of, thing was... I'm sorry. I, I think there are lots of, of facts that we don't know, but I have, I'm looking here at the definition of insurrection. Sure, go for it. A violent uprising against an authority or government. Mm-hmm. So how exactly does that not... What we saw in January okay. 6th not fit that definition? So wait, so wait a second. If it's if it's if it's just that, if that's the whole thing, then why isn't what we saw last summer an insurrection? I mean, you you could certainly argue that, but it wasn't against the the federal government, you know. Wait, wait, uh, I'm sorry, but you just said the government. I mean, it, these are go you like know, you, sure. authorities. I, I, again, I'm I'm not I'm not necessarily, you know, you you assume that I'm saying what we saw in cities around the country. Uh, yeah we're not in insurrection. And I think a lot of those acts, we don't actually know uh, who perpetrated them, who started right. them. Maybe you can do a fact-finding mission on those. I'm okay with that. I'm yes. okay with, with all of that. I think one of the things that we do know is with January 6th, right. we know who was involved. We know who started it. We've seen uh, with some of the things that happened over the summer, there were provocateurs who were involved. We, that's that's not even in question. Yeah. Uh, not saying in all cities or in all cases. Right. But we, we did see those uh, not only in 2015 when it yeah. happened and also, but also in 2020. Can I say so, though, can, can I say though, um, I agree with you on like the, on the, the baseline is like when you see political violence in America, you should get to the root cause of where it came from and why. Mm -hmm. um, I, I totally agree with you. But and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to score a political point on you on you here, but I just couldn't help but think that you sounded for a moment like Kevin McCarthy in the House, oh, because God. because the the he, remember when he registered his objection to a January 6th commission that like when Nancy Pelosi wanted uh, one of the reasons is because he said, well, yeah, I'm for it. But as long as we advance, as we look at like the causes of all the political violence over the course of the last year, Democrats had no interest in that. But you, Jason, were just saying, I mean, no, I'm, I'm, it, I'm totally if you want to look at um, I think that that's a deflection. And I do think that that should be done by local governments because there yeah. no, none of those attempted to take over the federal government. Mm -hmm. so, so Kevin McCarthy is a liar. When he says that, and he's trying to deflect. Also, I, again, no, no, well, my point is, here, Vince. Okay, uh, let, go ahead. let me just say that the truth is, had that happened, had Black Lives Matter 
or or Antifa or the Boogaloo Boys or whoever it was that was behind yeah. some of the violence that we saw. Um, if the state of Minnesota or the city of Minneapolis wants to do a fact-finding mission about that, I'm okay with that. Sure. I'm, I'm 100% okay with that. But the truth is they did not sack the Capitol. Right. They did and not neither- sack the one place. I think if you ask anybody any African-American group in Southeast, would they go to the Capitol, they, you know, as a group and try to sack it, they'd be like, hell no, that's insane. That's, that's a suicide mission. Mm-hmm. I think what we saw on January 6th was people trying to sack the Capitol. Not everybody, some people were just following the crowd yeah, uh, and were just angry and just wanted to shout at Nancy Pelosi, um, which again is disruptive, but you know, it's it's not like somebody, you know, walking around like some of the people there were with zip ties and bear spray. All right. We also one of the things that's recently come out is that uh, the <clears throat> excuse me. One of the things that's recently come out is that the Proud Boys. I'm sorry, not Proud Boys. Oath, Oath Keepers. Oath Keepers. I'm sorry. I think that's what you mean. Yeah. yeah no. The Oath Keepers uh, were planning you know, some sort of disruption at the Capitol. Even before, so I mean, this is—they've been saying this because they wanted the uh, the president to invoke the Insurrection Act. So that's been coming out recently, or at least is is being alleged. Um, so I think that the idea, first of all, with the uh, with the level of plotting, this is not some something that just was, um, you know, from from some people's perspective, it is at least. Uh, being proposed now that it wasn't even just um, some sort of cathartic explosion. Mm-hmm. This was actually being plotted out, right? By, so, so do you think Trump was, extremist groups? Do you think Trump was wrongly impeached then? Um, no, uh, I think if, if anything, you know, he certainly uh, put some gasoline on the fire. Uh, and, you know, all of those comments, trial by combat and all that, had he gotten up there and said, look, this is a statement where we are right now is a statement um, that we don't think this election was fair right. and that we want to challenge it, you know, not we're going to march to the Capitol. Right. You know? but he also, and, that, and again, that particular... a lot of the people who were who were a lot of the people who were in there were saying they got their orders from Donald Trump. Sure. So, that's, so in that particular, fact. in now, that march, the oath to the, keepers are different. The oath one second, are but that march, that march to the Capitol line you referred to, I, I, we could. By the way, I just want to be clear. Like, we could relitigate a million things here. So, yeah, sure. uh, I, I want to. I'm I, every time you you introduce something, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta respond to that. I'm gonna try yeah. and control myself a little bit. Um, but in that particular line, like, we should march for the cap, march to the Capitol. You know, Trump did say and peace of peacefully make our voices heard. That was literally, I think, in the same sentence you're referring to. Um, so. But let me just I'm trying, let me take us back to there was a point uh, uh, that you were making about, oh, you referred to um, what was going on in American cities as uprisings rather than riots. You wanted you said you, you like calling them uprisings. But then you also suggested that there are some interlopers, people who are there just to cause damage and violence and destruction because maybe they like it or they want to be provocateurs. Is that do I have did I summarize you right? Uh, yeah, I think that's that's a, a fair summary. OK, Um I just, what what upset me about a lot of things actually about the last year is how okay that became. 
like how how much violence especially beset American cities last year. And we're not talking, it wasn't just a small thing. It wasn't just like blown out of proportion by some isolated cameras. Yeah. We're talking multi-billion dollars worth of damage. So, to okay. Cities. So let, let me, and we're let talking, me just, and we're let me talking, just ask a question real quick. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just, just real quick, just for, for clarification. Sure. Do you, do you say that violence and destruction of property are the same or, or would you put those in the same category? To destroy something is a violent act. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I just wanted to, to clarify that. Do but, you not think that do you, you don't think it's violent? Um, I do think that there is a distinction between violence and destruction of property. There's a distinction between I'm not violence. saying either one is right. I'm just saying there, there is, I think one of the things that I hate on the left, and, yeah. and I didn't mean to cut off your point. I just, I just wanted to clarify, but that's okay. one of the things that I hate on the left, uh, is when, you know, I don't know, whatever group, whatever interest group you want to bring up when they start saying this kind of speech is violence. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, no, it's not. When I know people who have been victims of real violence, right? You know, speech is not violence. Look, I've been called the N word so many times by Fox News viewers. I, I'm beginning to think is I, I had to look at the spelling of my last name. It's Nichols, right? <laughs> you know, straight up, like, like N I C, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but for real, like. I still wouldn't call that violence. There have been threats of violence, but violence is violence. Right. You know, right. violence is not destruction of property. If somebody spray paints something on on, you know, spray paints the N-word on my garage, I'm not gonna say that's violent. It may be a threat of violence, but it's yeah. not violence. That's destruction of property. You no, that's that. true. There's there's um I, I agree with you that there are it's it's all about like, I guess, shades of severity. I don't want to say shades of gray, but like in terms of there's there's an intensity question like like, you know, murdering somebody seems to be like the end of that chain. Right. Like the most aggressive thing you could possibly do. But, you know, there there are degrees here. So if you're a small business owner, Jason Nichols, and you've got a business in Minneapolis and you see it burned to the ground. Uh, you know, you don't really care what you call it. You just know that your livelihood was just destroyed and you're wondering why. Uh, and um, there was far too much of that last year. And I think kind of there was like, I think the mainstream, the corporate press went out of its way to kind of excuse all of it. Like, meaning they were just like sort of generically okay with it for fear that if they spoke up against something like that, that they would be seen as speaking out against some sort of righteous cause which I thought really diminished the point of whatever righteous causes may exist. Because like when you start like offering endorsements for like burning down businesses or if, you know, or not outright endorsements or just ignoring the death of somebody like uh, David Dorn being gunned down in the streets, like then it starts to be like, okay, well, you're not actually fighting for something righteous. You're making excuses for injustice. And um, there's a, there's clearly a middle ground. There's clearly a middle ground. And I, and, and one other element to this, and I and it kind of got at what I was telling you before about like, you know, activists who fight for what I think are um, phony causes. So you can you can argue about like the limits of policing, for instance. So you could talk about like, you know, if people are disproportionately pulled over or disproportionately hassled, and if you can show evidence that that's a product of some uh, some sort of some sort of uh, bigotry. Like, great, make the case. But what we had last year was a lot of like, oh, there's a genocide of black people at the hands of police officers. That's not true. And but that that served as the underlying principle of a lot of what we saw last year. 
And I just wonder, like, where is the courage to stand up and be like, no, 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 that's not the claim. And it shouldn't be the claim because that just creates more havoc. It doesn't actually improve society. So uh, the first thing I will say is, uh, is there, um, so I'm trying to get in, you know, everything that you said. Sure, and, sure. And, and I will agree um, with the idea that um, some of the destruction of property and the limited acts of violence, um, you know, that, that, doesn't necessarily or it doesn't help the cause at all. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to agree with that. Um, I think, you know, just philosophically, and I'm going to go like, just really broadly, theoretically and philosophically. Cool. I do think that violence, you know, this idea that violence never solves anything. Again, we were just talking about the military and fighting wars, and you were all for it. So the idea that violence never solves anything, you know, that Joe Biden was pushing, I think is not true. Um, because all of a sudden the tune changes when it's in Israel or the tune changes, you know, when we're fighting uh, against some of our adversaries in other places. Right. Well, you know, the yeah, idea yeah, that, and, and had there been no violence, violence never solves anything. Yeah. Would you have, you know, what about, you know, of course, World War II, and I hate using the whatabouts, but you know, civil war, even, you know, there are times. Yeah, in other words, we, we reserve, we reserve violence for our enemies. I mean, that's, yeah, so that's, it, that's, it's a last, it's a last resort. But there, uh, they, yeah, it's, it's a last resort. I'll say that. I mean, um, you know, the civil war, of course, at least if you were a white person at the time, uh, the civil war was, you know, in some cases, brother against brother. Um, so, but we fight for our ideals and we fight for what's right. Mm -hmm. um, but there are times that there were other options. We had a way um, where we, I believe, for to get the ends that we want. Right. Where, you know, I understand there's the cathartic explosion. Like, I'm so frustrated. I'm so angry. You know, and, and I do think that you are not taking into account um, the amount of abuse that African-Americans, you are undervaluing the amount of abuse that African-Americans have suffered at the, at the hands of law enforcement. I think you should go back and read the DOJ report from Baltimore, just Baltimore City. Yeah. And, and see the kind of stuff, not everybody was getting killed, but right. when a woman is strip searched naked on a street corner, you know, like that's, that's, somebody's life you know what life. i mean that's somebody's that's somebody's daughter that's somebody's mother that's somebody's sister and that is a human being herself yes when a guy gets stopped 50 times in his own neighborhood while he's walking to work you know what i mean these are the kinds of things that i think you know uh on top of that yes then you have people you know who are, who are dealing with legal things like uh, tatiana jefferson who is oftentimes forgotten in these discussions in Texas, you know, who went to her window because somebody had, you know, a police officer was shining a light in her window. She was playing video games and, mm -hmm. and the police officer got called for a wellness check because her door was open because she was trying to get air in and she's in Texas. Um, the police officer shines a light in her window and mm -hmm. she comes 
with her legal firearm to the window to see who's, you know, what's going on. Right. And we know when the lights are on and the outside is dark, it's hard to see. She had her firearm. The police officer saw the firearm, didn't take cover or say, look, police, he pulled his firearm and shot and killed her. You know, and there are yeah. many other cases. Tamir Rice, Atat, uh, um, Ayanna Stanley Jones, who was a seven-year-old girl asleep on her couch, mm -hmm. you know, and police pull a raid, run in and shoot her while she's sleeping. Like, I think that African-American people are traumatized by some of these things and realizing that no one gets held accountable. Yeah, the, but so there's I think also you're underestimating that. I, so I appreciate that. So, so actually, this is an argument, and it, it connects a lot of things. Actually, this is an argument for caution and sobriety, and and um, and like a realistic uh, interpretation of the facts, right? So, like when you have and uh, um, the woman who you just described with the light flashed inside of her or window, what was her name again? Tatiana. A uh, Tatiana. Okay, so Tatiana, Tatiana so I'm relying on your accounting of that. It sounds awful. It sounds like actually a series of, uh, of, I mean, it could it could even be deeply unfortunate just the way that the those events rolled out. Um, I don't, I know only what you've told me about that case, but like I think, for instance, of like the excesses of like the Michael Brown stuff, which animated right. so much in the United States, and it was based principally on a lie. On, on the hands up, don't shoot lie, which, which was never true. Eric Holder said it wasn't true. The Justice Department assessed it and, and put a report out on that subject. And you and it was like, this is just one of those things where it's like, there's a lot of mythology out there that informs a lot of the energy and it isn't put down. I mean, to this day, if I was to ask the average person, like if they know about the Michael Brown case, what they think took place, hands up, don't shoot is still like the dominant thought like oh that like he was just gunned down and cold blood with his hands up saying don't shoot um you so, know this, go ahead I, I don't mean to cut you off like were you were you still making a point I'm, no i'm just making the point that like for instance like we talked to him a moment i'm about ago, to agree with you we, we talked a moment ago about like the stolen election stuff right, right like right, going right. into january 6th mm -hmm. and like Look, there was there's been zero evidence uh, that Dominion voting machines were changed or any of those things in particular. And in fact, the people who were propagating that uh, the most, uh, people like Sidney Powell, were never able to produce evidence to support that. So that was a right. deeply irresponsible allegation, not supported by any available evidence that she ever procured to the public. So don't make an allegation like that unless you can support it. But what we saw over the course of the last year, a good example of this is, you know, the suppression of the Wuhan lab theory that you and I talked about on Friday, mm -hmm. the decision to nuke traffic to conservative news sites going through the election, the decision by major social media companies and corporate media companies to snuff out a story about Hunter Biden in the waning weeks of the election. What you get is in concert, sort of the institutions, basically the elite institutions of our country working over and over and over again to favor a political party and to diminish news headlines that might support the other, or at least the other might find some respite in. No, so that here's the thing. People, let me just finish this point because okay. I'll, I'll, and I'll let you go off. Go ahead. That leads people to have sort of an over-heightened sensitivity. I, in other words, like they're rightly sensitive to a bunch of real concerns. And I think this is the point that you were just making. Mm -hmm. 
And then occasionally they're given to access. So they, they, they believe something that is not true. There isn't evidence to support it, but it just becomes a part of the mythology of whatever their political cause is. And then they ingest it and then they just spit it out and they use it as justification. I have always thought that that is a way to actually hurt political movements. So if you have a righteous cause, the quickest way to undermine it is to adopt fantastic overstated, overwrought, and totally impossible um, claims when the real claims are good enough to make a great case uh, to the public right. and can be supported by the facts. And, and you know what? I 100% agree with that. And, and the Mike Brown case was unfortunate, um, but I think that there were false stories coming on both the right and the left about the Mike Brown case. Um, I think the, the, the right did all, a whole bunch of things and said a whole bunch of things that were false. But one of the things about the Mike Brown case and about Ferguson that got exposed was not necessarily about Mike Brown's death himself. It was about policing in Ferguson and the fact that the number two revenue generator for the city of Ferguson were fines from were court fines and you know other criminal justice related fines. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? They realized that this was the cash cow to over police, you know, the, the working class, overwhelmingly black people in Ferguson. So what they would, you know, again, I, I get you on a speeding ticket. I get you, and this is what the yes. Mike Brown situation uh highlighted. Mike Brown was walking in the middle of the street, you know, and it's funny because I, I talked to this one police chief who's a, who's a good friend of mine. And he's like, this is why we need to get back to community policing. Because if you are in a particular community, you know, he's like, you know, been a cop for like 50 years or whatever. Yeah, he's yeah. A couple of things that he's, you know, kind of that old school kind of guy. And he was like, look, if I rolled up in Ferguson and I'm going to police that neighborhood, He's like, I guarantee you, I would know Mike Brown. I would know the 6'5", 300 pound kid because he stands out. Right. And you know what? I'd have rolled on him and I rolled up on him and I said, Mike, get out the street. What are you doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but because we've gotten away from community policing, because of a lot of those things, uh, it turned into something that it it wasn't. They didn't yeah. know each other. Um, so it it brought light to a lot of other issues that weren't just about Mike Brown. Now, one of the things that I will say about the press and the same thing, you know, on the right, when you look at um, Philando Castile, uh -huh. people saying he robbed a, a convenience store. <laughs> the, the right was making up all kinds of lies. But the point being with, with Mike Brown, with Philando Castile, with Mike Brown, it illuminated other issues around policing that were more systemic than just his particular death. So interesting. You know? I, that's, and, that's interesting. I think that's, that's, it's a good thing if there, if you can find silver linings in this, I guess. Well, my, wait, let my, me, my, let me say one thing. Let me just say ahead. one thing. I Go think ahead. that the press both on the left and the right, if you know, at the time, I'm not even sure that a lot of what we call left press was left at the time. Right. But um, I think it's kind of shifted post Donald Trump. But one of the things that I, I know is that the press is mostly aimed at making money. 
Definitely. And so, um, all right, should we cue our, our uh, corporate sponsors? <laughs> this is where our corporate sponsors come in. I'm kidding, but the, the the press is all about making you know making money. That's their first thing, and yep, yep. some of these open and shut cases like Walter Scott don't last as long. That was open and shut, but something with some ambiguity that they can kind of rile everybody up, like Mike Brown, for sure. And and, and rest in peace to Mike Brown. I, I think that you know, with proper policing, had we made certain changes. I'm not even blaming Darren Wilson, um, uh, you know, necessarily, but I think with the right kind of policing, Mike Brown would still be alive. Darren Wilson would probably still be a cop. Um, but the point is, I think that the press looks at these cases that have a little bit of ambiguity. Yes. And they blow them up instead of the many cases where it's pretty open and shut, cut and dry, you know? Yeah. And then even when it is open and shut, cut and dry, um, the right-wing press finds ways to assassinate the character of the, of, you know, particularly if it's an African-American person or a person of color. Like for example, with, even with Adam Toledo um, in, uh, in Chicago, who was just shot by a police officer. We're talking today's, um, Today is Memorial Day mm -hmm. with Adam Toledo. He was running from the police. He probably did fire a gun. I think uh, they have the ballistics evidence that says he fired his gun. Uh, he was running from the police, but he tossed the gun and had his hands up when he was shot. Was this the guy who 13 year old boy, Wait, I, we should call him. This was, was this the guy who did the turn where he was like, he threw the gun kind of behind a fence and then whipped around at that moment and like tried to put gun. his hands up? put his hands up and was shot. But it was like, what you're talking about though, was like in a 10th of a second. I mean, literally it was the, it was the throw turn shot. Like he's like, his hand was concealed enough that the officer took a shot, believing that a gun was about to be on him. Right. Uh, uh, you know, again, I, I guess um, it depends on the way you want to view this because it's the same thing with. Um, you would have fired that shot. I, I don't know. I'm not a police officer. I mean, I think about that, it though. I, I mean, anybody. I mean, Anybody, if though. I see someone toss, you know, if it looks like they toss the gun, I'm probably not going to fire the shot. Uh, but this is the you guy. Know, um, I, I have this. I have the image right in the body camera footage. You're talking about the the 13 year old boy. I guess is what you're referring to. Did, didn't he? He had his arm right next to a fence, like so you could see the gun right. on his right he threw hand. Threw the gun behind the fence. He, he tossed to the gun to... behind the fence as he was doing the turn towards the officer. I I've seen that footage. I've seen it. I watched it a bunch. That's true. I watched and... it. I and I've done, you know, I don't know if you surrender. And and again, uh, Tamir Rice got shot within, you know, two seconds when uh -huh. he had a toy gun. And the police, awful. When they called the police, they said, "I think it's a toy." You know, like anyway. The point. The point is. Yeah, yeah. You know, he was trying. He was trying to surrender. The the overall overarching point here. Yes. Is that there are certain changes to the way that we police that could be beneficial to police officers and be beneficial to communities. Yes. And, and I think the, the press is more interested in getting clicks and selling papers. Well, that's for sure. Also, you know, they're very scared of speaking out against anything. Like they don't want to be seen as, especially on issues around black Americans, they don't want to ever be seen as questioning something that could undermine a black, a black narrative, right? 
So, oh, well, but what, again, the right wing, on the other hand, tries to undermine every black narrative. That's that's the point. They're always looking for. Well, did he do this? Well, he did commit this crime. So I guess what you're ago. describing, what you're so describing, again, like it, it, I'm, I'm saying, there's problems in the press on both sides, but certainly, you know, there's opposition to a, almost yeah. every black person. You know, every black yeah. narrative that says, "Hey, this was wrong," and they're like, "Well." So here's the thing about that. I, I, I agree that there are there are definitely people who are. Um, they're uh, what we call a confirmation bias, where you're kind of like whatever you think the outcome is supposed to be, you 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 report on those details or you emphasize them in order to support your your narrative, whatever it is. So that that should be avoided at all costs. But I, let's I one thing I would caution against is confusing like waiting for facts or looking for the facts as an as evidence of you know rooting for an outcome, which is not true. I mean, if you're actually just trying to figure out like what the hell happened. If you start asking those questions, uh, like I think you would agree, like there's these things kind of take on a religious quality, like they almost they take a life of their own. And if you start asking questions like, for instance, George Floyd, you know, you and I have talked about this before, not not in this format, but um, as you think about George Floyd, if you ask questions about like how many narcotics were in his system and of what kind, like once you started down that road, you were being accused of some sort of trutherism, like about like, well, like you shouldn't be. Like, stop even inquiring about that. No, it, it seems deeply reasonable if the guy was like lit up on opioids to make that a part of the question of like, okay, how did this actually go down? You know, this 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 individual moment captured on camera um, and become which becomes sort of like the centerpiece of dinner table conversations across the country, where we're all we all see it. That you everyone's kind of it's baptism by fire. No, none of us know this cop or this or or the guy who passed away, George Floyd. And the circumstances. So we start picking it over like, okay, we're debating this. We think it means something big, potentially. That's why it's been thrust in front of us. That's at least what we're told, that it says something about like race relations in the United States or the relationship between people based on their skin color and police officers. That's heavily implied in all of the coverage. And so the end, the end result is that it becomes like a source of deep division because People all of a sudden start seeing either what they want to see or they are they they see the facts and they change their mind or whatever. I mean, the, I think what you just tapped into is brilliant, which is about the media and the role it plays in all of this. And the idea is like the only interest that they're really serving by and large is their bottom lines. So they're either trying to prevent threats to those bottom lines by like not doing something that could get them in trouble. Like in terms, especially with activists, they don't want, they don't need boycotts. They don't need to be condemned. They don't want, you know, they don't want their business torn down. And then simultaneously, like whipping people into a frenzy is good for business. It's good to keep people animated because the more they are, the more they're going to stay fixated on your product and come back for their next fix. And I just don't think that that's good for the country. That's, I guess that's my point. No, it, it certainly isn't. Um, and I think, again, we, we've seen that uh with with january 6th we've seen it where it's led to you know restrictive voting uh laws around the country that are unnecessary when pretty much every intelligence agency you know has basically said this was the literally the most secure election we've ever had um and a lot of these companies have had to walk you know walk their claims back have had to fire people who made ridiculous claims <laughs> All of these kinds of things, um, but yet 
you know, they're they're and they're trying to walk a fine line of, of uh, hey, how do we not piss off some of the loudest voices and uh-huh. piss off our audience who wants to believe that everything was stolen? And again, this is what makes Vince and Jason Save the Nation so important because we come from different perspectives. I think we have some, you know, some similarities and some things that we agree upon, but we come from different perspectives, but we're willing to have a good faith discussion yeah. um, about these issues. But most of Americans, and, and I, I know I'm saying this is a repeat of, of the last episode, but most Americans are so siloed off. Like I've, I've been on, on Fox News, right? And a lot of people and, and some of the other networks and a lot of the people, their complaint will be like, why did you let them talk? <laughs> you know what I mean? I've Even experienced if I was this. making pr- completely rational arguments based yeah. on based on facts, based on numbers, you know, it was like, why did you let him talk? You shouldn't I, have let him talk. I know this phenomenon. This has happened to me too. I've I did uh during the 2016 election, I did Morning Joe and I was like, and, and the, the viewers hated it. They were like, why would you ever have daily caller guy on like you know ever to do this we don't want to hear from him i'm not interested in his opinions i'm not interested in his thoughts like okay you know whatever i you know my my view was like that's fine well i I I think think, you know as much as you know uh i think our audience needs to know that the daily caller is not owned by the guy that you think it's owned by you know anymore And, and i think a lot of people associate probably associated you with you know with people i mean people associate the daily caller with I, and look here personally i don't care if they associated it with tucker because i like tucker i think he's a smart guy i just my my view is though tucker's that, a like, smart what, guy too <laughs> what you were what you were just referring to that like you 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 said like a lot of americans um you know basically stay in their silo and they don't like out, outside opinions i think that you're right that there's there is that growing phenomenon. I think it's pushed by social media mostly, where people are put into bubbles and they kind of create these filter bubbles for themselves. Again, advanced by social media, and then it gets airtight. It gets hard to basically break in with some new detail uh, for people who oppose each other politically. But I like to believe, and perhaps this is the optimist in me, that those most aggressive voices, the people you hear after you appear on Fox, or the people I hear after I appear on MSNBC. I think the explanation for for what we're experiencing is that there's always going to be a small subset of people who are screaming in the back, who are just going to constantly be throwing peanuts at the stage. And that's fine. They can they exist. But I think there's a huge audience for what you and I are doing here, which is to basically say, don't spin me. Don't give me, you know, whatever party's talking points you want to give me. Have an adult conversation and make your best case. And if you can present facts that support the case you're making, I'm willing to believe it. In fact, you might be able to convince me of something new that I had never thought about before. And I think that's the point of the conversation you and I are having and will have. I'm annoyed that, like, yeah, I'm annoyed that that Morning Joe invited you and they've never invited me. <laughs> what the hell? What the hell, Joe and Mika? What's yeah, I don't think, you know, I don't, by I the way, if it makes, if it makes you feel any better, I don't think they're going to have me back anytime soon. I think have changed a lot since 2016. Yeah, I think so. And, and of course, <laughs> Joe, Joe Scarborough was a Republican. Yeah. You know, um, I think he was probably on the moderate end of the Republican party. He was a friend of Donald Trump at one point. That's for sure. And, uh, I think things have changed since then. Um, it's funny how some of these people have, you know, all of a sudden are associated with the left. And I'm like, 
Really? Like, <laughs> Joe Scarborough? You don't want you him? Know, you shout can, out you to Joe. Can, if you, you want to have, have me on the show, I'm available. You don't have to take him if you don't. You can just reject him. You don't need him. <laughs> yeah. No, I, but I, I definitely think that it, that it's so important for us to get out of our silos. For sure. Us, us to actually talk to one another. And the truth is, we are so residentially segregated, you know, that the truth you know, many people of different backgrounds, yeah. different religions, different races, don't actually come in contact with one another on a regular basis. It's certainly not in the type of situation where they could have these kinds of conversations. Yeah. I mean, look at the, the flip side of this is like, <laughs> even if you can't convince me, maybe I will sharpen my own opinion. It's sure. like, you know, if you're in an airtight environment where like everyone's agreeing with you, like, yeah, Vince, that's a great point. Like eventually it's like you become super dull as a weapon. Like you, you have no idea. Like you, you it's, it's hard to battle test if you never go to battle. So right. like, but, I but again, I, the, the only thing I, I'll say this, and I think we're probably going to wrap up here, but yeah, yeah. I, the only thing that I will say is we can't, I don't think if we want to save the nation, we can't approach it as trying to win the argument. That's true. Yeah, I think there needs to be like, let's have a good faith discussion. And maybe just maybe just in a few situations, you know, maybe I can change some minds. Yeah, for sure. And you if know, you if you come across not always me, and probably rarely, but you know, in some cases, totally. And if and this is one of those things where like, again, it's like either either you can change my mind or vice versa. Or like you make your argument stronger for the future. Right. So okay, maybe you don't change Vince's mind today. But at least you begin to think through, and, and, and same with me, at least I begin to think through, okay, where did Jason find shortcomings in what I had to say? And, or like, where did he point out like accurately that there were holes in my argument or things that I didn't fulfill? So that's a good process. And I, I think that Americans broadly, I, that, let me just, I mean, this is not, I'm not trying to make this like a big conversation about how we produce this show. It obviously is what we have in mind. But like, this is just a call. And I think on Memorial Day in particular, this is a good reminder. It's just like, remember, like there are things you hold in common with your neighbor, even if it doesn't feel like it. And if you don't believe it, ask anybody who's literally joined the military, especially in the last 20 or 30 years, who have, who have found commonality in the ranks when they volunteered to join that service and have been able to basically take their completely different life, lives, put them behind them, carry some of it with them, as Jason was saying earlier, and then find something new to have in common or something actually kind of old, which is the United States of America and standing up for it and trying to see it succeed. And um, I just think that if we can get people to think like that, to be like, okay, if there's one identity that you have in common, at least it's Amer being American. So like figure out how you can use that commonality to push ahead and to, and to save this great country. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But I, I will also say that um, there are times where being American uh, can mean different things based on, you know, your positionality and, and your background, your race, your class and all that. And that's something that we need to solve. And that's why, you know, we're, we're endeavoring to save the nation. And hopefully you guys are going to try and save the nation with us. Um, please like and subscribe. Uh, subscribe to the Daily Caller YouTube uh, Find us wherever podcasts are found, uh, Spotify, iTunes, and anywhere else. Podcast and join the Palooza. conversation. We, we also want your comments below. We might actually look at them and, and, and uh, respond to your comments. Yes. Um, you know, if, if you have like serious questions and 
and you actually want to get a, to be a part of the, the conversation, we're pretty accessible. So yeah. or creative try... or creative insults, like insults right. that are not not just like your normal, normal, like boilerplate, like, you know, offensive insults, but like truly creative insults, the kind that yeah. when we read them, even though they're directed at us, that we chuckle pretty yeah. hard. Well, I, I'll just want I just want to make clear the you know, the Dr. Nichols looks like Kanye West one. Yeah, that's getting kind of old. So yeah, he just took it off the table. So now you yeah, can't use so it. So you can't use that. Find <laughs> something, you know, creative. And, you know, maybe I will, uh, I'll be with it. And, you know, uh, I'll at least give you an LOL and, and you know, an LOL of, of approval. But thank you so much for listening. Vince, of course, you're my brother. Thank you so much for, for having this conversation. And we will be right back at you on Wednesday yep. and Friday, every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, you will hear from Vince and Jason trying to save the nation. Thank you so much for listening and watching. Peace.